Welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover, your home for ice fishing news, tips, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast. We're joined today by Joel Nelson from Joel Nelson Outdoors. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, the calendar is about to turn to November, and uh, I've already done an ice fishing show. We've got several shows coming up on the docket, so I think people are starting to get excited about an upcoming ice fishing season. So we wanted to have you on today to just talk about some ice fishing. Let's get into early ice first. I know that was a topic that you wanted to talk about, and you've got a, a philosophy on that that you're <laughs> developing. Uh, let's let's hear about that. I you know I fished early ice for a long time. Um, since I was a kid, just trying to get out anywhere I could as early as I could. And that, that strategy, I don't know, was always the best strategy. You know, there's always obviously the safety standpoint you got to think about. And on top of it, I have seen early ice not be as great for panfish as, you know, early ice just a touch later. So let me maybe clarify that when I say early, I mean like earliest. Like I'm talking one to two to three inches. I have seen it where panfish are spooky. Uh, the ice is really clear. Uh, and in clear water especially, that's not always a great idea. So specifically for panfish, it's been my experience, that something in the lines of four to six, eight inches of ice, I've typically done better and have had better success on than I have really trying to creep out on the thinnest of skim and, and try and attack them first. That That's... You know, maybe other people have had other experiences, but that's been mine. Yeah, when I'm out there, I mean, I'm not a small person. I walk out there on three inches. The ice is moving around a lot. There's a lot of sound. It's it's not a quiet hike out there. And uh, like you said, uh, the ice is clear. You're typically fishing in shallow water, yeah. and uh, they can see you. I think you I think you hit it on the head. It is louder. Um, that ice is louder and clearer, like we were talking about. And especially on a sunny day, those fish don't just see you. They see your shadow. And that's cast just like a boat's shadow would be cast uh, longer and longer as the day goes on. So uh, I've had slightly different experiences with, with walleyes, like shoreline walleyes, um, at times towards evening on that early ice, you can really make hay with those tip-ups, uh, dead sticks, and, and the like. But um, if you're a panfish angler, I, I don't always encourage people these days to try and get out on early ice, or at least the earliest ice. But uh, yeah, four to six, eight inches, somewhere in there, it starts to cloud up a little bit, and it just gets better to go. Yeah, is that um, <clears throat> people who start stepping stepping out there doing some fishing? Uh, where do you kind of start to target fish early on in the year as you're first starting to take your steps out there? You know, it's probably not a surprise, and I hate to to beat a dead horse on early green weeds. What's there? But you know, let's break it down a little further. And when I'm talking aquatic plants, I'm not just talking about any weeds. Um, although there are some lakes where Literally, most of the weeds aren't very good ones. Maybe it's curly leaf pondweed or some other invasive. Um, in those situations, you don't have much to choose from. Well, then earliest and whatever kind of green weeds that are still standing you can find, I, I'm targeting panfish around those. But in lakes that are a little more developed where you have a choice, uh, cabbage, 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 cabbage. Always, um, I've been saying it for years, that and then as a, as a close second, coontail. 
have been very productive for me. Um, they're dense beds. They cast, uh, you know, a broad, a broad wide shadow, but it provides them cover. It provides them a lot of food, uh, especially in the cabbage. And, you know, coontail is a little dense. It can mat up a little bit. It can be really thick and impenetrable. So panfish especially can hide in those, uh, in those aquatic plant species a little bit better than they can in a lot of the other ones. So it's really, uh, it's a nursery ground. It's, it's a haven from predators. It's a place to eat. It's really no wonder why they're, why they're in these areas. And so you don't always have to go deep or to the deep edge of the weed line to find these spots. Sometimes just flats, simple eight to 10 foot flats. If you've got a real deep weed line in the lake, maybe it's 12 to 15 foot flats. But those are some of the first areas I hit, especially the ones that are closest to deep water or areas where I've been finding fish throughout the fall. You talked a little bit earlier about tip-ups and dead sticks. How does your presentation change? You know, what does it look like in the early season compared to later on in the year? Um, so you're talking specifically for walleyes. You're thinking like dead sticks for walleyes, that kind of thing? Yeah, let's let's talk walleyes. Um, I think we can talk some panfish too, but um, right. how do you do things early in the year compared to how it may look later on in the year? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's interesting I always try to force it. I'm always going to try to fish efficiently when I can, which to me means jigging and jigging aggressively. So that's lipless crankbaits. Um, that's, you know, that's like uh, rattle spoons on clear lakes. It's puppet minnows, things that are really visually attracting that flash and dance. So I'm always going to try that first, but I'm always surprised because quite often the winners of the day tend to be, whether you're fishing tip downs, dead sticks, uh, sometimes even tip ups. Uh, I'm going to be tipping that very simply along the edge of a break line. Hopefully it's got a little character to it. Maybe it's got a little bit of rock or some sand and gravel, uh, some, some, some areas that can join and, and create an edge for you. And that can be as shallow as, you know, eight, 10 feet. Um, you don't have to have the whole lake iced up sometimes to have really good ice near shore in some deeper areas. And obviously, if the lake's not iced up, you need to exercise extreme caution. But I'm creeping out to these areas. Um, I'm trying to jig first. And the trick there, though, is that you just have to be so still. You can't move. You really need to be patient. And when it's time to go set the hook on a dead stick or check a tip-up flag, you shuffle over as quietly as you can. And sometimes, um, if ice conditions allow, I'll take off my creepers and... I'll just try to literally be as silent as possible for the reasons we talked about for panfish. So my setup's going to involve a light wire hook, typically uh, a nice shiner minnow, maybe a small sucker, like a light Northern sucker. And I have found that most of those early ice walleyes aren't too picky if the bite is on. So it's literally about presenting the bait a foot or two off the bottom and uh, setting up your spread and multiple people help, obviously, because then you've got more rods that you can set out, at least in states like Minnesota, where I fish. So it, it, it's a little bit of a game. It's a little bit of a waiting scenario where you're trying to make it happen, but at the same time, let it happen. Joel, the thing that we need is tools to do this ice fishing thing. The most important thing probably is what you've got on your shirt. I see you've got the ion shirt on. Yeah. Um, Augers are, are really vital. And it's this time of year where people are really 
thinking about augers, just thinking about getting a new auger, or maybe thinking about just making sure that their existing auger is ready to rock. Um, but for those folks who are in the market for an auger as we roll into these ice fishing show seasons, um, what do you think that people should be looking for as they're shopping for an auger? You know, it's interesting. I think of augers and where we came from back in the day uh, with, with gas augers. And uh, I'm, I'm a big electric guy. I know gas augers still are great in certain applications, but, you know, I'm looking for something that's electric when I'm shopping, first and foremost, because I don't want to deal with the gas and oil. Uh, I'm looking for something that is extremely lightweight, especially for early ice. And you kind of have this diversion, right, where you can slip one way or the other and you can go drill adaptive on one hand or you can go with like dedicated full on ice auger on the other. And uh, for my money, if I'm going to own just one, it's going to be the full on auger. It's not going to be the drill adaptive one. Now, if I was just a panfish angler and I fished uh, lower Mississippi River area and I'm not drilling super thick ice throughout the remainder of the year, uh, it would be drill adaptive all the way. Um, you know, we talked about light, we talked about, uh, we haven't talked about speed, but you know, I'm a big fan of the ions and that new alpha. I've had a chance to, you know, thoroughly test it. Um, I was part of the design process on it and really love how quick it drills, uh, how light it is and the value you get for your money, given the fact that I can take that thing anywhere. It can drill uh, out holes uh, in extreme northern, you know, portions of the ice belt all the way down to the southern portions. And I don't have to worry about it. It's plug and play. Pull the trigger and you're on. If you got juice in the battery, it's going to operate and it's going to operate pretty flawlessly. Keep keep fresh blades on it. And, man, you don't have to change them that often as long as you take care of them. It's really no fuss, no muss uh, compared to the way it used to be. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, you said taking care of them. Yeah. It's preseason. It's time to get our gear ready. Uh, what needs to happen to make sure when we hit the ice this year, I don't have to mess around with my auger? I'll, I'll be honest. Um, blades are so cheap, and the effects of having dull blades or a chip in a blade or a blade that literally won't drill or drill very well um, – it's just not worth it to me. I'm pretty serious about my ice time. I don't get as much of it as I would love to. Um, so when I'm out there, it's all about quality. And so I'll change out my blades at the beginning of every season. I usually start out doing that. Um, I can tell you from experience, changing blades out on the open ice is not a blast. And if you're going to cut yourself on the blades, it tends to be then. Uh, you're in a hurry. You don't always have the right tools for the job. And it's so much easier to change it in the garage when temperatures are warmer. There's no wind on you and your fingers still have feeling in them. So uh, I always change my blades at the outset of the season. Um, as far as other maintenance, I try to make sure that I put my batteries away fully charged. And then I always give them a fresh charge before I head out. And when I store them, I try to store them in a cool, dark place. I, you know, they, they shouldn't be out roasting uh, out in some barn somewhere or whatever. But whatever you can do to keep uh, your batteries in good condition, your blades in good condition, there's not a lot more to it, really, as far as I'm concerned. Um, take care of those two and you're ready to rock. Well, speaking of getting things ready when it's nice, you know, this is the time of year to get your wheelhouse ready as well. <laughs> and like you said, it's a lot easier to do those maintenance things oh, right yeah. now when it's 50 or 60 degrees outside. 
that it is going to be in another month or so when it's 20 out. Um, what things are you doing right now to prepare your fish house for the season? I'm really glad you asked that um, because this has been my week uh, for some of that prep. Um, first and foremost, you got to winterize your ice house if it's or you use it at all in the summer for camping. You're going to want to make sure that you get some good RV antifreeze. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that stuff that the cheap stuff that goes down to 50 below or whatever, it still freezes and slushes up pretty good. And I saw a couple other brands that are a little bit better, maybe down to 75 below. I'm trying that this year. I just, if you burst a line and you're going to have problems, it's going to be catastrophic and trying to fix that and having techs go through and hunt down where the culprit is and where the leak is. It's just a nightmare scenario for anybody working on one of these things. So first and foremost, uh, make sure that you, you know, you go ahead and winterize, which for me involves, draining the hot water tank first so i get all the water out of that i seal up that system again make sure that the valves are closed into the hot water tank so i'm not just filling that up with rv antifreeze and then i turn on the water pump with a dedicated hose that literally goes into one of the rv antifreeze jugs and it sucks it out of there and distributes it throughout the system i run the faucets in the vanities and different places that i have in the toilet in the shower and I've got antifreeze in all the lines. So I've got antifreeze in some of the drains and some of the traps. And that's that's what I need there. So moving on from that, um, then I got to think fishing stuff. And I haven't gotten to that yet. But I know what's in store for me. And I'm excited because this is the time to go back and clean out the old junk from last year that didn't work. I, I store everything in totes. I basically have these kind of small cube style totes that plug and play just kind of like you see behind me in these shelves that plug and play into whatever spaces you have in your shelter. And once I take those out in the springtime, I tend not to mess with them very much. They store a part of my garage. I don't go to. And then now this time of year, I go through them and I check and see what I need. I've got all my catch cover rattle reels, the rattlesnake rattle reels. I've got the pucks and I set them up all over. If it's a new house, or I just plug and play and make sure everything looks good. Everything's lined up. I know which rattlesnake rattle reels I want where, where I want rod holders instead of rattle reels. And then I think about some of the shelves and, uh, you know, catch cover makes some nice corner shelves that I really like in a rod holder design too, that I really like. And I put that in the bathroom of mine. So if I don't have those things installed, I go ahead and install them. And then I start going through my tackle and making sure that, at a minimum, I've got the basics that I need in the shelter. I've got tackle boxes full of gear. I've got rods and reels ready to go. And I've got plenty of sinkers, plenty of hooks. Those are the basics. It's funny. Those are the staples that you tend to run out of. So, I, man, I'm buying big bags of sinkers and lots of light wire hooks. And uh, if I'm running rattle reels at all, those, those are going to be staples, whether it's panfish or walleyes or anything else. Yeah, it seems like you never have enough sinkers no matter where you are. Yeah, yeah, and you misplace the bags of them. Before you know it, a kid kicks them down the hole, and you never knew about it. And where are my sinkers again? And yeah, it's, you're right. You're dead right. All right, how about pop-ups? I know uh, you've got a little fleet of those as well. Yeah. Uh, tell me about those. I, uh, I have been using pop-ups more and more lately. Uh, they're so convenient. So now I've got a kid in college right now. Boom, I send him with one of them. 
it's going to ride in the back of his uh, his little SUV, and he'll be able to go fishing wherever he wants with it. I've got one that I carry my Yeti all the time, or I throw it in the back of my truck. I always go with it. Um, it's a portable bathroom. Uh, no fun way to say that. Or it's a, a way for the kids to be able to go ahead and take off on their own. You know, if they want to take that thing and and uh, kind of go off with some friends, they've got their own little fort, their own little place to fish. Then they don't have to fish with the grownups. Or they can come into the into the Yeti with me and, and go ahead and do that and fish. But pop-ups, I try to set up and make sure there was no mildew. Everything was put away correctly. I've got no snap rods. The hubs are in good condition on the shelters themselves. And the bag, um, you want to make sure that your bags are in good condition. That's a often overlooked portion of it because when you're unzipping and re-zipping and repacking that stuff out on the open ice, it's brutal. It's at the beginning of the day and you're hurried and you're trying to get out fishing or it's at the end of the day and you're frozen solid. Everything's cold. Uh, you might have slush that kind of froze things in. Maybe that got on some of the zippers in the bag. So check your bags, check your zippers, just go through things generally, make sure your fleet's ready to roll. Yeah. We've got a, a new law in Minnesota with the keep it clean. Um, and I, I think with that, those pop-ups are going to be even more important tool um, I think you're going to see a lot of pop-ups set up outside of fish houses, just almost as a storage place to kind of make make your little setup look a lot um, more organized than a lot of times when you go on the ice, you drive by and you see kind of stuff scattered about on the ice in front of a house. And uh, I think with things the way they are right now, I think people are going to want to look a little more organized. And that, that pop-up may become a more important tool for people. It's great. Um, if you own a wheelhouse, I think you should own a pop-up too, just because of all the versatility that they have and the options that you have uh, that really extend your fishing, help things out. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of them. The other thing I sometimes will do, I, I'm kind of a baby when it comes to, you know, big shelters out on frozen ice and always worried about maybe some cracks developing or too many anglers parking too close to me. So I will set up a pop-up sometimes near me and prevent somebody from parking. You know, if I have a road approach that's coming right at me, I'll maybe set it up on the side that would be logical. If somebody really needs to crowd me, it kind of prevents them from doing that. So I'm not trying to own the ice. I'm not trying to bully people out of spots or anything like that. But from a safety perspective, even if the bite's hot, it's I don't, I don't want you right next to me waving out the window because you hear those cracks, the fish do too. It spooks them. I, I, I do not like that scenario, so I try to prevent it. Yeah, get yourself a little bit of space. Joel, uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us today, talking a little bit of early ice, a little bit of preparation. Is there something you wanted to talk about today that I didn't ask you about? You know, uh Maybe talking a little bit about rods and line. If you haven't spooled up yet um, or you're running on old line, it's just amazing. These tiny ice reels with the small arbors make it really hard because that line coils up tight. There's a ton of memory. So do yourself a favor if you want to roll into a Thorn Brothers or a Joe's or, a, you know, a good, a good quality bait shop that'll spool up all that line onto your reels. Go do that if you want to spool it up yourself fine great as well but it's it's a really you know you think of all you think of what gas costs now and it's darn near a filler tiny filler spool price for a gallon of gas especially a gallon of diesel like i'm paying for so 
go ahead and just, even if you got 10 rods, it's cheap insurance for the rest of your year. Uh, trophy fish are hopefully going to come in on this line. So let's treat it like that and make sure you're running the best stuff you can. Very good. He's Joel Nelson from Joel Nelson Outdoors. You can find him on the Facebooks. You can find him on the Instagrams. You can find him everywhere. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, it was great. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover. For more ice fishing content, visit our blog at catchcover.com.